You're listening to Bleed TV, the only podcast for today's best shows and movies. I'm Cash. And I'm Larissa. And we are here to talk about Mr. Robot, Season 3, Episode 3.0, Power Saver Mode. It's been so long since this show has been on, I honestly had to like go back and refresh myself on a lot of the stuff that was going on before this season. Yeah, I wasn't prepared. I completely forgotten the little... Uh, little monologue they did of what happened on last season like really that was that was last season felt like two years ago granted Uh, honestly it you know it it really did feel like two years ago i honestly forgot darlene's name yes forgot darlene's name i was calling uh wow i'm gonna blank on her name as i'm saying i blanked on her name but angela Angela, i was calling her portia the entire time I was like, I've I've become to known you as Portia, and I was not ready to jump back into Angela mode. Like I only remembered Elliot. Yes. <laughs> and Sam Esmail, even though he's not a character, I, I just remember his hand touches. Sam Esmail is the only character. Yes. And he's throwing us for loops. He's on Twitter doing all kinds of different things, telling us that uh, the plot's not one thing, and it definitely is. I am in severe disagreement with our Lord and Savior, Sam Esmail, right now. Okay. Um, Yeah, we will will definitely get to that. I'm excited to hear that uh, you're in disagreement with our Lord and Savior. (laughs) (laughs) But, so overall of the episode, what what do you think about it? Do you think it held up to the long wait that we've been having to hold on to? I really, really, really enjoyed it. But what was interesting to me was that it was very traditionally done for Mr. Robot. Like, as far as coverage and the way that it went, like, yeah, there was some really interesting stuff. There was, like, a really long one take. There was some interesting stuff with close-ups and whatnot and the other. But, you know, I'm used to bottom sixth of the screen OTS wide shots, which are never done. And this just felt like it was covered so... Like, you know, like a traditional drama that's done on TV. And as far as the way that the plot went along, it also sort of felt like that with like a small break when he breaks the fourth wall and he's in his brain, he's like admitting it's his fault. But other than that, it it definitely felt like a little bit of a departure, which maybe harkens back to the title of the episode, Power Saver Mode. I don't know if they're maybe trying to like lessen it to ramp it up later. I mean, maybe. I think you're underplaying the one shot a little bit just because... That was a pretty long one shot, and there's a lot of cool things I'm excited to ask you about that uh, Tarantino pulls off a lot and a couple other directors towards the end of the episode, but I mean, I thought it was a fantastic episode. I think we waited a legit full year for this, and I don't know if we necessarily answered any questions. Honestly, I think I'm more confused because we didn't see a lot of the main characters that I still want to see. You know, no Dom, no Leon. Dom so much. I know. And I'm interested to see how she ties back into this because Darlene. Oh, Darlene. It's interesting to me that Dom didn't take place, like she wasn't in this episode because she was so on the warpath. Yeah. At the end of the last season and there was like an actual, you know, murder that was done and she was like, had Darlene in her sights and then she's just gone. And I realized, you know, there's a citywide power outage for six days in like... In New, New York, York City, yeah. which is insanity. Well, I mean, not just Darlene in her sight. She had her in the jail. She showed her her plan and everything. And so, like, I would have liked us to at least seen her walk out of FBI headquarters or wherever they're set up right now instead of her just being out. Well, I remember, you know, technically they had nothing to hold Darlene on. Like, they didn't know for sure that she had done anything. So it's it's a it's a logistical leap that she would be then able to leave. But I do agree with you. I was kind of like, okay, like when when he was going up to his apartment and they were like, oh, someone's been staying in here. I, I wanted it to be White Rose because yeah. I always want I just want every episode to be like a forty five minute monologue of White Rose. But that's just me. I mean, she's but, uh, she's a beautiful creature, so I can understand why that. Uh, and just hearing her talk, hearing her plans, the chaos that ensues after her. Like, I don't know a word for non-chaos, just for, like, her normalcy just causes chaos just because she's so far ahead of everybody else and no one's really understanding what she's saying. She's, like, she's sort of like a vacuum where, you know, the sem- she's, like, sort of like the vacuum where it's, like, the eye of a storm where her 
part is calm, but, but everything else, and everything around her is chaos. Yes. Which is fun that she was in a particle accelerator in the beginning, which was our title card. Yes, which I let's go ahead and talk about the title card a little bit because, as everybody knows, I love how they do these things. Like, just however they always use like not necessarily different font for Mr. Robot, but just the ways that they sneak it into being so prominent. And then yeah, coming out of that particle accelerator and everything, I thought it was going to go into a, uh, you know, co- cookie cutter uh, garbage disposal. And it ends up being Elliot's eyes, which also eyelashes super creepy that close up. Like, never would have thought eyelashes are creepy. I mean, I, I don't have that sentiment because I'm always looking at my eyelashes that close up because, you know, female makeup, whatever. But, oh, that's yeah. the thing? Like, I, meh, never had that problem. <laughs> never had that solution. No, my eyelashes are perfect. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. It's not even fair. You don't even use them. Exactly. I use them all the time, please and thank you. Sure. Yeah. You know, just kind of wink my eyes or something. I don't know how it looks to make eye- eyelashes look better. Wonderful. Yeah, they just Fair work. Hey, it works. So then, if we're going back to the title card, the thing that was interesting about this is number one, there was a lot of movement in this episode and a lot of movement in that title card. We're going through a particle accelerator. Yes, and I love that we're going backwards. I don't know if that's yeah, normal I, or not. Say it again? Like, I feel like whenever someone does this shot, they always shoot into it instead of coming out of it. And so, like, I liked how we had a reverse feel of it. That's usually true. But I think the reason that they, like, so when you go into something, that's usually to show the importance of it. When you go out of something, it's to show the scope. That's the reason I thought it might be, like, the literal Large Hedron, you know. The one in Sweden that would have made no common sense for the Chinese to be over there? Yeah, because it's the biggest machine in the world, it's the most famous, it's the most powerful, and as far as particle accelerators go, why would White Rose settle for anything other than the best? True, but then, you know, you still have the whole in Sweden thing, which kind of prevents it. I mean, I understand that, but, like, you know, the fact that we went out of it to show its size and its, like, you know, majesty, yeah, is kind of what, number one shows how I feel like it's going to be important later. And number two, coming into Elliot's eye, which is obviously the window of the soul, shows how deep the canals of his brain are, which we already know that, but it's just a nice image. Okay. I don't know if obviously was the correct word there, but I now know that the windows <laughs> are the uh, interest to the soul. It's good to know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're here to teach people. Lottie saying cash. Yeah. Educators. Of, of the uh, spiritual world and everything else. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Trademarked. But, um, so, in this part, you're thinking that this particle accelerator is a, um... Time travel. Okay. So, I mean, I didn't have any other way to say it. I tried to be creative with it. Got nothing. But, so, you think that we're walking towards time travel. Time travel. Okay, I have many reasons okay. why I think this is time travel. And also, this is where she disagrees with our Lord and Savior because Sam Esmail has come out and said he doesn't want to do anything with time travel because as soon as you do that, you throw all rules out the window. And it now the floor. True, but his world has kind of thrown all the rules out the window. Not really. I mean, he's kept it pretty intact I and realistic. You can, you can use science magic... Which, you know, like like in the movie The Prestige. If yes. The Prestige, if like, you haven't, shame on you. Go watch The Prestige. It's... Honestly. But it's, it's like in The Prestige, you know, they, they introduce halfway through the movie this magical machine that can do magical things. And it, it's based on science, but it's, it's science magic. I so, mean, I wouldn't say it could do magical things. It kills somebody literally every time it's used. I was trying not to give away the ending. If they haven't seen The Prestige, then it's shame on them. It's Christopher Nolan's best film. Like, they shouldn't be listening. I don't know that anyone who watches Mr. Robot hasn't seen The Prestige. It just kind of feels like they... And you know what? It's not a spoiler if it's been out for ten years. I'm sorry. Like, shame on you. All right. So then you have this machine that can clone 
little to no explanation. And so, yeah, it's, it's, it's what you call science magic. Now, the thing is, is that if you're only using that once. Yes. Then it's okay. So that's why I think, so, okay. The science of a particle accelerator mm-hmm. is, you know, they have two particle beams coming at each other at the speed of light, and there is a scientific theory that the speed of light can then mess with time. Yes. So, White Rose is with a particle accelerator that can mess with time, number one. Number two, in season two, you and I were talking about all of the little Easter eggs about time, like music going backwards, mm-hmm. extras appearing twice, you know, like there was evidence of time travel or time mess ups or time manipulation, like, just something. Yeah, something. And, you know, it, it very well might be Elliot's world, you know, imploding or being strange because he was, you know, very unstable in season two, particularly season two. Yes. And he's but, become completely unreliable. Like, we almost have to take everything with him in it with a grain of salt. Still. Well, now they've, they've completely decided to tell us when he's who. I think, and I have some uh, good talking points about why they're doing that. And so, I mean, I'm interested to get your opinion on those. But please continue. So, it's so number three. Number, number one, particle accelerator. Yeah. Number two, all the evidence in season two. Number three, you know... Angela had a big part in this episode, and you know I've sort of had a love-hate relationship with Angela, and I really kind of like what they're doing with her this season. So, um, she, you know, was not really on board with all of this, and then you have Mr. Robot asking her again and again and again, like, why, why are you doing this? And she says, you know, I didn't believe She says, I drank the Kool-Aid, it was red, and it was delicious. White Rose puts the sugar in the (laughs) Kool-Aid. White Rose puts her special ingredient in the Kool-Aid, and I drank it, yeah. and it's great. It's but sugar. That's a special ingredient. She didn't believe in it at all until she met White Rose, and then previously had had that conversation with Elliot where she was like, what if we could go back and change everything? Mm-hmm. Which is obviously time travel. Now, that kind of put a little bit of doubt in my heart. Okay. Because I was like, ooh, that's really obvious, which makes me think that Sam Esmail wants us to think it's time travel, and then he's going to be like, nah, fuck you guys. I mean, I think it's definitely going to be that, because, I mean, White Rose even has the line that caught a lot of scrutiny of practice makes perfect, and a lot of people were trying to look deeper into that when she was talking to her assistant, mm-hmm. and all that really was, from what it seems like, was um, her telling him to speak in English. Because he was speaking in Chinese, she goes, now, now, what do we talk about? Practice makes perfect. Boom, he comes back, says the same exact thing. Well, not the same exact thing, because his English is terrible. No no offense to the actor, I'm sure it's fine. incredibly, that's a good English word. I mean, it, he added like an S in there at the beginning, and... Okay. I give him the benefit of the doubt, yeah. Their accents, come on. Like, I mean, <laughs> I'm sure it was intended and everything, but I mean, it was... Savage. Hey, I'm not saying I would do it right or anything. I'm just pointing out his English wasn't the greatest. And so, you know, that's why the practice makes perfect. But a lot of people were trying to dig deeper into that and say it was something time-related and everything. But I think a big problem for White Rose wanting to manipulate time or try to do time travel is doesn't that kind of make punctuality a moot point? Doesn't... If you can control time, wouldn't that ruin your obsession with time? I mean, but it's also the ultimate obsession with time. And I think what Sam Esmail is setting up is you have White Rose, who is this perfectly in-control character. Mm -hmm. And he's obviously, sorry, she's obviously going after time travel. Like, that's... I don't know if obviously is the correct word. I'm not 100% on it yet. Like, I understand. I can see why people want it. That she's going after time travel. Okay. And um, I think that it's going to be impossible and she's not going to be able to do it. And that's when we'll actually see her veneer break. Interesting. I could, like, if she is eventually told no, like, it's just not possible. I can see that breaking her veneer and her very calm, cool, collective attitude. 
And I'm interested to see what a uh, loose white rose is capable of, since we know what a calm one is capable of. Exactly. And, you know, it's, it's, you know, what do they say about script writing? You take your characters, you put them in a tree, and you throw rocks at them. Like, that's... Well, that sounds like a terrible experience. (laughs) That's the essence of writing a script. So, you know, you have this character who's gotten pretty much everything she's wanted Mm -hmm. throughout the entire series, and eventually that's boring. And Sam is a smart enough auteur, as we have seen that he knows when to break a character and when to change a character, which lends to um, the fact that now we're seeing a definitive difference between Elliot and Mr. Robot, I think. He knows how to change the way that characters are developing to fit how the story develops. Okay. I I would agree with you to an extent, but I'm also somebody who loves seeing the biggest, baddest person never struggle. And so, like, Achilles just running through a maze of people and not even getting a scratch. Love it. I could watch that all day long. And so seeing White Rose manipulate people and always be two, three steps ahead. Like, Peter Baelish in the first four seasons of Game of Thrones. And uh, Tyrion, easily two of my favorite characters. But as the show went on, Peter Baelish lost all, like, credibility to me was no fun to see on screen just because he was breaking down. And so like, I think he's got to be careful if he does that with White Rose. Well, I, I, I can, yeah, I can definitely see how that can be done wrong. Like, did you watch Gotham? Yeah, I still watch it. Oh, wow. Yeah, uh, it was dedication. A lot, <laughs> so a lot of dedication. First, so the first season of Gotham, I loved Fish Mooney, obviously, because she was fucking fabulous. Yes. And, uh, you know, by the end, like, she's losing her power and she crawls her way to the top and then they just murder her. And I know she comes back, blah, blah, whatever, but... Not blah, blah, whatever, man. She comes back better. Like, I thoroughly enjoyed her through season two more than season one. Yeah, but I'm just saying, like, that that season one arc was mishandled. It was. Uh, Well... if you're gonna if you're gonna destroy the potential of a character like Sam Esmail would have to do with White Rose, mm-hmm. it's gotta be like cataclysmic. Okay. Now, yeah, and it's possible, but I don't. I, I'm having enough faith that he's not going to let her turn out to something like that because I personally don't see her losing her cool. Like I. Mine's still going to be very trippy, my theory on what she's trying to create, because I'm not 100% sure of what it is, but I have the basis of it, and I was thinking pretty hard on it all day. Hit me with it. Hold on. Before I do, do you think that her assistant almost died when he questioned her and was like, why do we even need uh, Elliot? I can go ahead and do all the hacking myself. Like, I'm just as talented as him. Um, I don't think so. I think that... White Rose is smart enough to recognize, like, arrogance that can be corrected. Yeah. I don't think she just kills people to kill people. Like, no, not at all. But, I mean, I, I felt like challenging her to that extent was very dangerous. But I know she cares deeply for this assistant. So I didn't know if it was like, uh, you know, check yourself. Or uh, I'm okay with you challenging me in these instances and you learning from them. I think that it was that at this point. Okay. But I think if he makes a pattern of it, he won't survive the season. That That's what I was thinking and everything. Is if he continues to do it, then he's going to be in trouble. That's where I got fear for his life. But, I mean, of all the characters' lives I fear for on this show. He's an interesting character. Like, I mean, yeah, it's, I mean, I have a soft spot for the butler, I guess. I don't know why. They're interesting characters. They devote themselves for a cause that I don't think they understand. Aw, they're you. Maybe. Great, I'm a, I'm a butler. I can handle that. Yeah, there are worse things. You can be Alfred's badass. Yeah. Man. He gets to drive all of Bruce's ladies home, and they get to dish in the car. Like. In Gotham, he almost scores a lady. You know, I can be butler. For, hey, it's an interesting plot line. All right, well, I'm sure enough. Hey, in Artemis Fowl, butler's the greatest character. I'm just saying. But, anywho, I mentioned a children's novel because my uh, theory kind of goes off of anime, 
which if anyone watches Naruto or anything, I think White Rose is trying to create almost a virtual reality kind of uh, happiness experience. And that's how she was able to sell it to Angela, is she could almost show it to her and be like, you don't have to worry about any of this. You know, you're going to kind of be not necessarily an opium, opium den looking through these virtual reality glasses, but you put these on, all of your fears escape, you're in this wonderful world, almost Project Tsukunomi-esque in uh, that essence. And I think that's a very plausible thing. Why she needs a particle accelerator, I got nothing. I think maybe that's just to throw us off. I just don't see time travel. Like it, it ruins so many shows. Like I mean, it butchered Game of if Thrones. Anyone is gonna do it right. It's George R. R. Martin, and oh, even he has written so many books with time travel connection and all of that stuff. Like, if any TV shows are gonna do it correctly, it's, it's Game of Thrones. Like, no, God. No, it's not. <laughs> no, because D and D just got in over their heads. But I mean, I don't know what. But I mean, George R. R. Martin is the person who will solve time travel in writing, in my opinion, just because of how much he has done with all of his sci-fi series. I mean, if it's a sci-fi, it's like this. This Mister Robot is a sci-fi series. It's a prestige drama. It's a sci-fi series. It's a prestige drama. Okay, it's a post-apocalyptic world in transition. How is it post-apocalyptic? It's in transition. It's in 2015. Which <laughs> everybody, the show is still... World. It's our world with one change, which that's what sci-fi is. What was, what's the one change? The... the fact that we lost all of our records and all of our... We lost Google. No, we lost... Uh, all we lost was... A credit card company that owned like 90% of the debt. Yeah, but E-Corp owns so much more than that. Yeah. Anywho, I'm sticking with prestige drama. Alright. You and your sci-fi. USA doesn't do sci-fi. It's a sci-fi show. It'd be on Sci-Fi Network. Come at oh. me, bro. Oh, hey, I will jump through this computer screen. Okay. Anywho, we, we lost where we were at. I apologize. My co-host is off the rails. <laughs> and uh, so then we get Angela, as you were talking about, Elliot was talking to his landlord. The funny thing about this scene was a lot of people were asking why they had changed the handrails and stuff from season one. Sam Esmail didn't want to address it. And so he finally addressed it this season and he did it in a nice little way. Because the owners of this uh, apartment complex and everything changed it. And they wouldn't let him change it back. And so he finally stuck it in there. Oh my god, they think that everything is something. Yes. I mean, that's how deep this show is with everybody. They thought it had something to do with the show. Nope. Owners of the apartment complex just wanted to change it for the reasoning they gave on the show. And voila, it made it into the show. Oh, there you go. You so, heard it here. Fans. Fan, fan service. Hey, we can make anything possible. But, uh, I mean, I knew, I know you wanted it to be White Rose, but I was feeling, I was like, this is Darlene. Darlene's in this house. No problem. Let's just skip right to it. And I like how paranoid he is. You know, when he's getting ready to talk to her, he sees the FBI across the street. Because, I mean, I'm assuming that, you don't think that was the Dark Army, do you? No, I think it was the FBI. Yeah. Like, so I was like, well, feds are watching him and everything. And then I was like, got to be Darlene. And sure enough, here she is talking to him. He puts a little scrambler on. Now I got to ask you, do you think she's been flipped? Do you think she's working for the FBI? No. Uh, no. Really? I, I don't. I think 100% she's been flipped. And like a lot of, like I think this sequence of her, you know, just coming out and telling Elliot, Look, I was even questioned by the FBI. Cisco's dead. Yada, yada. She saw the entire room, how she has all of the information, their photos, her photos, Tyrell's photos. And well, that would be a convenient explanation as to why she knows about Tyrell and why she got out of there. She has no reason to know about Tyrell. 
And she tries to act like later when she's talking to Irving, who super interesting character, got some stuff to point out about that guy. And uh, but when she's talking to Irving, like she's That's just his name, Irving Mustache Johnny. Oh, okay. His name is no longer Irving. People Mustache Johnny from here on his out. His name is Mustache Johnny. But uh, like after that whole sequence at the barbecue. When she's talking to Elliot, she's like, I know more than you think. And then she immediately follows with, is Tyrell a part of it? You know, trying to pigeonhole him in it. And then starts asking questions specifically about him. Which is who the FBI has at the middle of their board. And she just... She acted very like somebody who was scared. Which she has well, every I mean, right she to be. Scared. She has a panic attack later. Which, um, great job. Great job by this uh, Charlie... Chalkin or something, I believe is her name. Chaken? Chalkin? Yeah. Fantastic job. Like, her acting this episode, top notch. I mean, it was it was sort of fun to kind of get a relief a little bit from just angry, fuck the world her yeah. for a little bit. She was able to actually act. Yeah. Like, she wasn't just angst city until she was, like, a little <laughs> ball of angst when... Oh, she, she wasn't just, like, a... Was or miss. She wasn't a 14-year-old little girl who hated the world? Yes. Okay. Yes. Thanks, City. Yeah. But, I mean, it's... And Darlene. And Darlene alone. Yes. Which, deservingly so. But, I mean, I thought she did a great job breaking down on the couch and everything and just being like, you're a terrible brother. And I was like, yes. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. He's the worst. But I was also thinking, like, he's asking the logical thing of, what did you tell the FBI? Like, I need to know this. I mean, the thing is, is that he just, he sees the bigger picture in a way that she can't. Mm -hmm. Like, she has never been able to see past her fear of death. No. Or just and, fear of anything, yeah. really. Which most people can't. No. Like, that, that's not a slight against her. We're it's humans. Just, we we care about ourselves and ourselves First and foremost, like, that's just how it goes. That's just the difference between her and Elliot. Elliot doesn't, Elliot only cares if he dies, because then that means he didn't win. Yeah, that means he finished, he failed at his job, which he doesn't even know. Like, he doesn't realize what his job is until later in the episode, when he goes on another one of his F Society rants. Which, oh my god, that was so good. That was can, pretty we just, good. can we talk about that? Not yet. Not yet. We'll get into it. Uh, but, I mean, he talks and he actually tells Darlene that, at least I believe he's telling Darlene in this moment, that stage two is them blowing up the building. She freaks out and thinks he actually wants to do it. Which, if she knows anything about Elliot, she knows he doesn't want to kill people. And so, like, I don't know. She really knows him at all anymore. She doesn't, but she knows he's gone away from injuring people multiple times in the show. Like, I mean, he's canceled plans because he didn't want anyone to get hurt. Well, she can't put together the fact that there are two sides to his personality. She just thinks that he's unstable. She doesn't know that he is literally dissociative. You think so? I think she knows. I, I, I don't think she's put it together to the point that, you know, that other side of him has such a level of control that there are two Elliot's. That he just completely blacks out and that there's, that he doesn't, well, and also part of the thing is because they're always aware of each other. Until and so, now. Until now. And so I think part of that, are we done with this uh, Darlene scene? Like she eventually, she tells him he can't get internet access. He says he wants to close the hole and then we're about to go to the epic shot. But yeah. before we go to that, Elliot had woken up at. Angela's place you know that's when we got come out of the uh particle accelerator we get the weird eyelash scene and uh yeah I'm sickened by weird all right eyelashes are freaky not dry I, I mean I saw the way I saw your look I saw your look away over there and uh he thinks that Mr. Robot is gone can't feel his presence or anything anymore and I think part of that is Mr. Robot is going to, we're only going to see Elliot change when he sleeps. I think we're but only going to. Either when he sleeps or loses consciousness or yeah. just any sort of anything like that. 
And I think the reason for this is because he doesn't want Elliot to know he's there. And I think this is going to have severe ramifications on Mr. Robot's plans because he's no longer going to know what Elliot's doing. He's going to be completely in the dark. No, he, I, well, oh, this, he knows what Elliot's doing. No, he, not? he always has in the first two seasons because he's always let his presence linger and everything. And so, like, he hears what Elliot hears. He sees what Elliot sees. Right now, I don't think he sees any or hears anything because he's in complete hiding. And he only comes out when Elliot sleeps or something, so Elliot won't know he's changed. And that's why later no, on... I in, think he does know what Elliot knows because he talks to when he talks to uh Angela and says like how can you lie to his face how do you know the difference but earlier right when he wait when she asked Elliot to say the night and he changes and she starts talking to him about the plans she's like hey Elliot closed the back door what Elliot closed the back door how could you be so calm about this because he didn't know normally he would know that I thought that was mustache Johnny no. Well, she told both of them, but Darlene told Darlene and uh, Elliot told Mustache Johnny. Mm. Angela told Mr. Robot, and he was completely out of the loop, which is uncommon. And I think that's because he's completely hiding himself, so Elliot thinks he's gone. Well, that's fun because now, you know, there's a complete division between them. Yes. Whereas before, Mr. Robot had all the power. Well, Elliot, Sam or Elliot still had power. He just didn't know how to really use it. And so now it's going to be interesting to see how Mr. Robot uses and misuses this newfound power. Because I think it's going to be interesting to see if he's able to continue giving Elliot this much leeway if he can screw up his plans this royally. Even though. Yeah, that's true. Angela doesn't seem to think it's that big of a deal. And I think it's actually going to end up helping since Elliot's going to be working at Evil Corp. I mean, I think that it's going to be like this draw until either Angela tells Elliot that Mr. Robot is still around. Which I don't think is ever going to happen. Or, you know, Elliot becomes aware. Yeah, which is possible. But okay. So now that we got that little... uh, bit of information my theory out there and reddit's probably i read a lot of things guys but we have the epic and potentially controversial from some people one shot sweeping scene of the uh hackathon i love one takes so do you think this was a one take i mean they're never truly they're never truly well uh, the actress who plays Darlene is adamant, went on Twitter, defended it, and said the entire thing was one take. Well, sometimes they are. But, you know, you see things like Birdman, which wasn't. Yes. And, uh, I mean, it's still like a feat. Like, Birdman is still my top ten favorite movies. But um, I was watching it pretty closely. And from what I can tell, there really weren't motion blurs. That's usually what covers mm-hmm. cuts. Um, we didn't go in close enough to anyone that we could have done like a fade to black or like a half and half screen. So like, I wouldn't be surprised if it was a one take. I and, could, I could be persuaded. And they did a good job of making him the narrator, Elliot, so that they didn't have to focus on lips moving and everything for the entire thing. And so like that makes me lean into it being a one take a little bit more. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it I think it was, um, I really enjoyed it. Yes. There's... I, you know, I didn't know it was coming, so that was a delightful surprise. whole lot of goodies in this one, because like this also leads to me thinking that Darlene had turned in his, with the FBI because, A, how does she know about this thing? Like, I mean, I got to assume the FBI's sitting on it just because there's no power. You're going to see this source, only place with the internet. But on top of that, as soon as you walk in, there's 1984, which, as we all know, big government watching out. Thank you, George Orwell. Terrible book, though. I don't care what anyone says. Hated reading it. Seventh grade. 
because you read it in seventh grade. Yeah. When 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 did everyone else read it? When did you read, read it? Read it again as an adult. When did you read it? Uh, nineteen. Nineteen. You didn't have to read it in high school or middle no. school. Weird. All right. I I'm... So then, I I mean I don't think that the FBI has anything to do with this underground packer ring. I think that's something she would just know about. She's connected enough. Not to... if she's terrified of the dark army. Yeah, but like even if she is, she's not gonna stop. To, like she's still got a phone. She's still got power for that phone somehow. Which I know she's got charger bricks. I'm pretty sure that's how she did it. Yeah. But you know, like I, I, I would believe that she would know about this place. Okay, DefCon stickers everywhere. 1984, and I believe there's a picture of eyes in the bathroom that are just looking at her. And when she goes to the bathroom to have the panic attack, she calls somebody who can I can only assume be Dom because I don't know of anybody else she has human contact with anymore. And it's like, no, hey. She- Called Cisco, but he's gone. Yeah, so. Cisco's gone. They don't know where uh, our two other people are who Leon protected. And so Dom is the only logical person she could call. Maybe Angela? But I don't see... I thought Angela. Huh? I thought Angela. But I mean, how is Angela going to get her out of a situation with the Dark Army? And they have weapons. Like She's probably not. So why call Angela, in my opinion? I mean, I've, I've noticed that, like, you know, the FBI in this episode was sort of this background force with no face. Mm-hmm. So I guess it would make sense that, you know, she would be calling this unknown person. I mean, I, I sort of saw the symbolism with government infringing in the room as just sort of like the nature of the location. Okay. But then again, I've... I've never reddited quite as hard as you. True. But, I mean, like, that was just, like, me, 1984. My first thought was, boom, government. And then it was, you know, the panic attack going into the bathroom. And, which, great job on the actress. Yet again, just, like, fuck. Like, I mean, that's why I want to scream, you know? As someone who has had panic attacks. Yeah, that is accurate. I felt very anxious the entire time watching it. And then, you know, I understand this is a place that's probably going to have one of those big garage door sliding bathrooms. But then again, how do you have only one bathroom in that thing? It is that giant sliding door bedroom bathroom. I, I don't know. Well, I mean, uh, eh. I understand set like whatever. It was cool. It was very cool. That was the kind of place I was like, ooh, I want that to be a bar and I want to go there. Yes. Like, for sure. It also, when as soon as they open the door to go into this place, dead quiet, dudes like you check out, open it up, base. Base rips yeah. off your face. I wasn't prepared. I was like, holy shit, this is awesome. Great song choice. I had it written down to give all of you and I left my notes. So I apologize. I'll put it in the link. I'll put it in the description. You've let everyone down. I have. I'll put it in the description for everybody because I got this song and the uh, closing song, which was another fantastic job. I I would be very interested to hear what that song was. I do remember the name of that and everything. But I thought uh, whoever does the score and the soundtracks, please keep, keep doing your job because... I don't think you can find better music than what you're doing. And how you think to find these songs, I've got nothing. I will never be as happy as the money-burning scene played with Phil Collins in the background. God, one of those people. Or or, are you putting Celine Dion in everything too? Yeah. I hate you so much right now. That's fair. Mm. That's fair. I mean, Phil Collins, he he does just about make every scene better. Yeah, he's a good man, you know, under underrepresented in, in America. He is not underrepresented. <laughs> not not <laughs> the slightest. All right. Anywho, then. but and how cool would this mute button be to have in real life? He's like, wouldn't it be great if we could just mute things? And then in uh building filled with souped up computers 
to the max. They're hacking. They're doing all of this stuff. They use a Mac icon. Couldn't have laughed harder. Why? Because, like, Mac is just not known as this hacker-friendly kind of laptop. Like, no one's... I can tell you why they used Mac. Hit me. Mac is the only computer company that has come out and said that anyone is allowed to use their logo anywhere for any reason, so they wouldn't have had to pay to have their logo shown on the show. Interesting. Didn't know that. Good to know. And smart move by Mac. Just pure-ass TV filmmaking. Damn. Like, I wanted it to be something so much deeper and more perfect, but no. The cheap route. And I respect it. And smart move by Mac. I'm a big believer in any publicity is good publicity. Right. And so... They don't need help. No. So free advertisement, keep it in. But I mean, I was laughing my ass off. I'm like, I'm seeing all these souped up glow keyboards and everything. And then just the boop. And then like, we still get them walking and everything. We get him narrating. And then as soon as Darlene pops up, bam, music again. Mm-hmm. I was just, I, I, I thought I had muted. Oh, really? For a second. I was like, what? And then I was like, oh, all right. <laughs> oh, no, it's the show. Oh, you do. I did watch it on uh, USA today or USA network so much better than last year. They, they heard our cries over here at Bleed TV and fixed their streaming I service. I didn't even try because it made me so angry that I was, I couldn't try it again. Nope. No. Very smooth. Uh, it was an enjoyable experience. Okay. Cause it sucked. Okay. But so do you have anything else to say about this scene? I mean, it was fab showed that the dark army was watching. Um, and then we sort of had our link up with our character that we started the show with, mm-hmm. our fabulous mustache Johnny. Okay. Before we dive back into mustache Johnny, like how difficult do you think it was to follow Elliot so closely? Like when they were walking in and everything, they do the shot downward and like somehow well, keep pace with them. you have someone on a steady cam, it's a big rig, especially for something like that, where you have multiple levels and going downstairs and whatnot. And he would have had someone to the side, both sides of him and behind him to make sure no one was running into him. So there were no bumps and also for safety. So it's a big group of people moving around. So it's very difficult, especially with that many extras being that crazy all the time. Yeah. The coordination would have been ridiculous. And they, and it seemed like they didn't have any fear of extras just walking in front of the camera and everything. Cause Elliot got blocked a lot. No, because you have to let scenes like that be diegetic. You can't, you just, you simply cannot control everything in a timely manner because TV shoots don't allow for it. The schedules are too backbreaking. Okay. Very interesting. Very bold for them to take that, to do just in the first episode and stuff. And we are supposedly going to have an entire episode shot to be like one take. Oh my God, I'll die. I'll just die. I'll just die that day and die happy and be, be it'll be great. <laughs> well, okay. I think we can dive. I think we finished that scene and everything. I think we gave it adequate justice. You know. And um, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about Mustache Johnny. Who, yeah. how did you feel about how we were introduced to him? Because apparently he hasn't been on camera before, but he's been in the show. When? Well, he's like, I've already, when he was talking to Angela, he was like, he looked like at me, like we've never talked to her anything before. And so there's a lot. Yeah, you know, he's he's part of the Dark Army, like he's part of this. Well, he's met Elliot before is the big thing. And so that, that's the most important key. And it was talked about through Reddit. I would love to give you your name, but I don't. And so, but it was talked about. Uh, season one, episode seven through ten, where Elliot loses consciousness and everything. Mm-hmm. That this is when he would have talked to Mustache Johnny. I think so. Yeah. And I think, so you know, this guy is a representative of the Dark Army, and I think that when all the blackouts were happening with Elliot, it's the times that he would have spoken with him. So yeah, I think this is just the first time we've been introduced to him, but this character has all the information yes. which is a good intro because we don't have to deal with acclimating him very true and then we get to not only do we get to meet mustache johnny for the first time but we are also introduced into the red wheelbarrow barbecue company 
And did you notice what it was at the Red Wheel Barrel Barbecue Company? I don't think I did. It was the grand opening of said Red oh, Wheel Barrel yes, yes, Barbecue yes. Company. Do you know why? Do you know why this is a big deal? Because he already had a finished punch card. Yeah. How do you have a finished punch card at a grand opening? I don't know. So that, that that tells us that this has got to be a chain restaurant of some sort. And he's been going to this somewhere else. Presumably North Carolina, because they say it's the uh, North Carolina's best. Mm. But also, little Easter egg, shout out to Reddit. Um... The address, the physical like location address, when they were shooting like to go into it to show us mustache Johnny, that address is different than the one on the brochure menu that Elliot was reading in the episode and previous seasons. So I don't know if that's going to end up playing a factor or not. I mean, I think the fact that we went back to this restaurant twice and he seems to be very like he seems to be obsessed with it will mean that we come here again so it's very yeah. possible that there it's a front for something or it's like a meeting place or it's just that guy has been around longer than we thought and been being set up yeah well there's so much further ahead of what we imagined there's a lot of true rumors going around that uh, this is where Tyrell is being hidden in his little uh, basement bunker. And I don't oh, know. If, yeah, we don't know where that is. And I don't know if you were paying attention or not when they showed the uh, generator of the red wheelbarrow. There's like a shot of the red generator and everything back there. Underneath it, it looked to be like two storm door, uh, doors that you opened up and went down into the ground. Two big red doors. I don't know if that's just like a New York way of life or something or if that's where storage is, but it looked like it could be hiding. Ooh. Bones? Right. Bones. Just bones. Yeah. Pig bones. No. People bones. Oh, no. Oh. <laughs> How were you? I, I, when, when they were in the bunker, I was just distracted by Tyrell's little face. It's just, he's just, he just wants... Elliot's approval, and he just wants to be a part of it, and he just wants to be loved, little Tyrell. Well, do you think he wants to be loved by Elliot? Like, do you, do you think he's in love with Elliot? No, he he's, he puts Elliot on a pedestal. Elliot symbolizes Tyrell's entire life imploding, not being for nothing. Okay. Like he make, Elliot makes him feel like he's part of something. Well, he makes him feel like he's a god. Like, yeah, so, like, why would you want to give that up? So, like, you know, that moment when he sees Mr. Robot returning to form mm-hmm. and he's all happy about it makes sense. Okay. I'm perfectly okay with that. I don't have any gripes with it. And so you – Tyro's still got a big role to play, right? Like, he's not just going to be – we're dragging him along just so we can make him the fall guy for the FBI. You know, I feel like he has to be. Like, we, we really we made him this big mystery in season two mm-hmm. about whether or not he was real or alive. You know, we had all this stuff happening with his wife. And it's like, if we just drop all of that, that's such unused momentum. That's why I was kind of surprised that Tyrell was such a small role in this episode. I was okay with him being a small role just because I don't know what he could have done in this episode. I agree, but it's still, I, I, I feel like we need to have some, uh, we need to have more of him in maybe the next few. Yeah, I think he's going to slowly become like a mainstay. What I mean by that is like having like 20 minutes of screen time, like per like the next four or five episodes. And I don't then, think it'll ever be like season one again. No. But, but I expect him to be in the background a lot and everything. Yeah, me too. A lot of screen presence. And I'm expecting to see a good bit of Joanna again. And maybe a Joanna Angela showdown. I don't know why it would happen. I just want to see these two on screen together. I always want to 
you know, take characters that make no sense to be shown on a screen together and put them together, which this show has done. Yes, multiple times. They have no fear in doing that. So I, I you might very well get your wish. Yeah, I, I'm very interested by it. But, and so, like, we've got all this, but before we got down there, sorry for jumping around a little bit on this episode, everybody. But uh, we get, it was when Angela wakes up with, uh, well, no, even before we get to that, what do you think about her letting Elliot kiss her for like a solid seven seconds and then pushing away? Well, it's because she wants him to. Like, it's the whole thing that, you know, Elliot says, like, she always pushes away the people she loves the most and seeks the love of people who don't love her. Like, she's, like, remember, he says this is her power saver mode. True, but I mean, she's she's afraid. She's number one afraid of her feelings. Number two, she's afraid of getting more involved with this situation because you know she's already manipulating him so much. So she probably feels terrible, which is why she starts to cry right after the kiss. She's like, you know, that was a mistake because even though she may act later on when she's talking to Mister Robot like she doesn't feel bad about it and she's making up all these things, like there's a part of her that feels guilty. Okay, so you think this is really guilt ridden? I didn't yeah. even think about that. Okay. I think it's guilt, and I think she's pushing away any true feelings, and I think, you know, there's also a part of her that's like, this is the only real relationship in my life, and he trusts me. Yeah. I don't want to ruin it or complicate it or anything. I mean, I can see that. I, I didn't see that at first because I was just like, I don't know, Elliot, maybe it's because you are multiple personalities and you know it's not fair for you to try to push that onto her to accept but he doesn't know that he is anymore he thinks he doesn't true he doesn't think that he has but i mean he doesn't think he's totally in control he doesn't know the situation but he obviously doesn't know that he flip-flops like that so true so yeah i guess i wasn't looking at like, from what Elliot told us, I went completely backwards with it. I was like, I don't trust you, Elliot. I don't have anything that you say. And so I was siding with Angela. But I like the guilt-ridden aspect that you put into it because guilt will make us do crazy things. Yeah, it will. Okay. And so, you know, we get that whole sequence and everything. She asked him to stay the night. And then when he wakes up, turned... I was like, oh, dear God, please don't be in love with Mr. Robot. Like, I, oh my God, I totally wanted, like, this disgusting moment where she'll kiss Mr. Robot but not Elliot. No, I did not want yeah, this I in the slide. No. I wanted it. Like, I was holding vomit back. Like, I was like, oh, oh, don't do it. Don't do it. It's like, don't give us these weird daddy issues or anything. Like, no, please show. Because it's not a dad. It's Elliot to her. She sees Elliot with, but, like, it's Mr. Robot. And, like, we see Christian Slater, and, like, no. I know, but it's, like, I feel like it has to go there, and I want it to go there. I want it to be gross. I hate you so much right now. I do. I want it to be nasty. I want to be uncomfortable. No. Oh, I was uncomfortable enough. Because, like... I mean, we got, like, we got... Like, you talk about fabulous performances with Darlene. Can we talk about the fabulous performances by Angela? Like, we got some really wonderful close-ups of her. Like, when she's talking to him, like, what if we could change everything? We have that extreme close-up, and we physically see the camera move back away from her when she goes, never mind. Yeah. Followed again by that wonderful profile close-up at the end where she holds me riveted to what she's saying in an unbroken one-take. Yeah. Doesn't hesitate, doesn't even notice a camera, which, like you said, is like giving us her poor count. So, yeah. bravo yeah, by Angel. Killed it. Like, she's come a long way. Killed it. Like, yeah, because, you know, she's, she's got a long way from just giving me hair envy. <laughs> yes. Know? I mean, what, like the last three or four episodes, she really stepped it up and it has definitely carried over until this next episode, until the next season so far. I'm really glad to see that she's become a major player and she definitely is all through the end. You know, we come into the bunker, we kind of discussed that a little bit. And then the ending scene with her on the bus with Mr. Robot. Well, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Like I was still because I'm sorry to cut you off, but Ugh. when 
so when he's asking, how can you tell when Mr. Robot and she goes, your eyes, you don't look away from me or anything. I didn't buy it. I was like, she lied. She's telling him something different so she can keep the real ace in her pocket. Right. But I think that there are multiple ways that she can tell. I think she just told him one of the ways. Maybe. But when I rewatched the episode and he goes, she's like, Elliot, he's like, it's me. She tells him to come closer. And that's when I thought they were going to kiss and everything. I was grossed out. I was already uncomfortable. She holds the candle up to his eyes so she can look at him. And so she might have really told Mr. Robot the only way that she can tell him apart. I mean, what does she have to lose? Like, the Dark Army is running her life right now. No, and I mean, like, it might have been the right player, everything. But as you're about to tell us on the bus and everything, you know, he doesn't trust her. And if she told him how she can tell them apart, there's no bigger sign of trust. I think she probably just assumes Mm -hmm. that there's a difference between being truthful and trusting, I think. Well, okay. Hit me. Sorry. No. (laughs) So telling him the truth in that way doesn't really give him power over her. It's her believing anything he says to her. Okay. That gives him power over her in her mind. I think I can see that. So to her, she's like, okay, I'm going to give you this information. I'm not going to lose anything, but she would never believe anything that comes out of his mouth. Rightfully so. I think there's no reason to believe anything about Mr. Robot. He had a straight up, like Peter Baelish smile on his face the entire end. Yes. And him, when he was waiting outside for uh, talking to Mustache Johnny, and he's just smoking that cigarette in weird, like, it it was like almost like, how funny can you look Christian Slater while smoking a cigarette? Like, I felt like he was throwing his feet up in the air. He's holding the cigarette in different hands, moving them. I don't know if I... Oh my god, that would be hilarious. Just I wanted to see that so bad. I'm like, I cannot imagine Elliot being a cool guy cigarette smoker yeah. at all. No, I see like Elliot like sitting cross legged with his one leg over the knee, like very prim and proper, and just not knowing how to hold a cigarette, like keeping it very far away from him and being like, Ew, no, get away from me, smoke. Which is why it was so fun when we saw when when we finally had that little reveal on the bus of him standing, sitting next to her. Yes. Because his body language and the way he's sitting with her and everything is so different. Completely. Like, Mr. Robot, nice, relaxed. Elliot, like, turned rigid, stiff. Not good. It's just, it's, it's so, I really hope that we don't completely abandon seeing, abandon seeing those two sides of Elliot, like, seeing him act no. them. And I don't think that we will. And I mean, because he take, he cares so much about the small details about this show and he has such control over it that I don't think that we're going to get away from seeing those things that we love and that we rave about every week. Yeah, he is, he is truly an auteur of this show. Yes. And I really liked this opening and I really look forward to what we're doing this season. Me too. And the song was uh as he was sitting down mm-hmm. that was a uh, touch by daft punk oh okay cool and i, I want spotify oh yeah and i wanted to ask you how hard is it to do something that they did with this where it was clearly coming from the show like the song was and then as soon as they got on the bus it changes audio frequencies because they put it on the boom box of the old 90s hip-hop breakdancer in the back, who I loved how he was dressed, bucket hat and everything, gold chain, zip-down jacket, tracksuit. Absolutely loved the look of him. And they, he was playing the song. They doing uh, background dressing in this show. Yes. Um, I can tell you completely that there was never any music playing while they were filming. Okay. Um, all music is added in in post. 
uh, it so, basically it wouldn't have been difficult at all. It would have just been a sound mixer coming back in and, and audio mixing it to match the scene once it had been picture, picture locked in editing. So how do you make it sound so differently? Um, I am not an audio engineer, okay. so I can't tell you that, but I, I just know that they would have taken the original track and warped it in their magical ways. Because, I mean, that's because, like, you can definitely see it being like as soon as they show the boombox and everything, the sound, how it sounds changes. Well, it's like, you know, when you're watching a movie and someone's listening to music on headphones and then they pull the headphone out and you hear it coming from the headphone. That's yeah. just the magic of audio engineers. Like, they're really good. And, I mean, bravo to these people and bravo to Sam because, like, he actually made it work, it fit. And I didn't hate it. And a lot of the times, like you said, like when you hear like the headphones, like when you see it move and then it come out, you're like, uh, I would have rather them just keep playing the song or something. Yeah, exactly. It worked very, I remember thinking, wow, that worked really well. Yep. And then one small thing before, I think we can move on to the final thing. The small thing is, how is this dude still eating that barbecue sandwich? If it ended organically, you know, the guy that's protecting Elliot and uh, Tyrell at the very beginning of the episode when we meet Mustache Johnny. I think that that's just another clue as to the fact that the top layer of that bunker is the restaurant because he would have just been eating it from, you know, right then. But also, the no, because these are two different places because Tyrell's not in his bunker yet. They're still, this is at the very beginning of the episode, Tyrell just shot Elliot. Um, and the elevator guy. And remember, because he was eating the sandwich when he took Elliot and Tyrell to it. And so... That's, he, just, that's, just, the, that's just the show trying to... Uh, tell us it's the blend, the... blend the scenes together. I don't know. I had a problem with him still eating the sandwich after 15 minutes. And he had already been there like 20 minutes. Some people don't eat a burger in three bites like you do. That's 30 minutes. <laughs> who who was waiting 30 minutes when you have nothing else to do? I don't think it was 30 minutes. He said, I'll be there in 15 minutes. But they had already been there. Tyrell has already shot him, called Mustache Johnny. Like, I mean, it's legit 30 minutes. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's character, it's poorly done characterization and scene time. Hey, I, I want to hold people accountable, all right? I'm sorry. That's fair. And then the last thing... I believe we have is the rant. And oh my God. I don't oh know. My if, God. I think this is all the same time, but he does the rant in the Josh, in the Josh Groban sweater, right? Yes. Okay. How did you feel about the Josh Groban sweater? Cause I was Actually, laughing. Hysterical. No, he didn't do it in the Josh Groban sweater. That okay. Was, that was later, but I loved it and I wanted it. And yes. And like when he was asking Angela for a sweater, I was like, come on, please be something of her ex-boyfriends. Like, this is going to be great. This is going to be hilarious. And boom. Josh Groban. Josh Groban. That can only assume they bought when he took her to the Josh Groban concert. I think back in season one. Yep. And so, love the tie-in. I bet the wardrobe designer had a good time with that. <laughs> but alrighty. So, I think we can talk a little bit about the rant. Can, can I say? Can no. I say? No, you cannot. The rant. Like, the fact that this show just straight up launched into Trump and politics and the nature of our society right now gave me fucking life. I was so happy. I was like, yes, kick <laughs> him down. And, I mean, the fact that he was painting that as a hypothetical thing of chaos and destruction was, I thought, pretty funny and interesting. I mean, it was really well written. Um, it was very different from the, the way the show had been operating previously, like the way this particular episode was. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm glad that it all happened in his head, which I figured it had, but you know, the fact that he was breaking the fourth wall and talking to us and realizing it was his fault, I think sort of like they took that moment to really orchestrate a huge shift. Yes. That was coming in the new season, which I think was good and needed and appreciated. And I, I really enjoyed that sequence. And I was like, yeah, fuck Trump, fuck politics, burn it to the ground. But, you know, he was sort of saying, no, maybe not. And I was like, oh, well, the, yeah, I'm all revved up. I'm all revved up and ready to go. No, they definitely know how to touch certain buttons and everything and get you going with these rants. And 
make you turn and think of like, man, I kind of feel terrible for being on my phone more than I should. Or, yeah. you know, not just going out and helping people. And I think that uh, he did a really good job of putting some brands. I think like the main brands they showed were what Google, Pfizer, oddly Amazon. enough, Apple, Amazon, uh, Amazon Johnson & Johnson. And I think that's the majority of them, at least the ones I caught. I mean, I just love when he said, you know, I didn't revolutionize us. I made us more docile for the slaughter. Yes. Uh, like, ugh. And the fact that I think what's really important, well, what I took from it that was really important was, you know, it's like when a lot of people put like a Twitter comment or a Facebook, a Twitter, a tweet out or like a Facebook comment. It's like, hey, I did my part. I showed this, but they're not willing to defend it or take any criticism for it. And so, boom, he's like, no, I've got to stick with this through the end. And now I'm thinking he wants to come out and be like, hey, world, I'm Mr. Robot. Did you... I think that's probably, I can see that being the end of this season, is him coming out publicly, and then season four will be the fallout from that. I think that'd be pretty cool. And see, yeah. like, if he's just like, look, Dark Army... I need to become the face of this. And, and I'm going to be like, nah. I'm well, going to be like, yeah. I think that's what might lead to your uh, White Rose destruction thing is she okays it and here he she's having to go jump through loops to protect him so he can continue doing what she needs him to do. I don't know about all that. Oh, it, it's a leap and a stretch, but... That's where I'm at by the end of episode one. Well, by the end of episode one, I am firmly time traveling. <laughs> oh, gosh. Get, get out of here with your time travel. We don't need no. it. No. We don't want it. We don't need it. Some people do. No. Nope. don't know. Sticking with my Lord and Savior, Sam. Thank you for presenting us with, with more things to honor you by. <laughs> but uh, I can't think of anything else. You? No, man. Alrighty. Well, guys, until next week, which hopefully, you know, don't hold us to it like you never have. But uh, we're going to try to do these closer to the episodes. You know, maybe. Slightly more timely. Yeah, you know, maybe after it airs Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Could be Saturday, Sunday, or Monday. We're going to aim for, I think, what, Thursday? Yes. We're going to aim for these on Thursday. So hopefully we can give the people what they want and everything with this and uh, get it out in a more timely manner, but please feel free to email us at bleedtvpodcast at gmail.com. Hit us up on Facebook, Twitter, bleedtvpodcast. I think you're on Instagram as well, if they want to hit you up on that. I am on Instagram. What's that? At, at the Austin Amazon. At the Austin Amazon, right there. And uh, feel free to ask us any questions about the TV show or anything else. We'd love to hear your theories, implement them into it. And actually give you a shout out because I can remember all of the uh, emails and tweets we get. Nice little save. But uh, until next week, I'm Cash. And I'm Lottie Seth.